Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, goodly afternoon to you. We're recording a little bit later today. Yes, goodly afternoon to you too. I hope you are happy with yourself. I'm missing South Korea... No, no. Yeah, South Korea, Sweden, aren't I? To yeah. Do this? Well, yeah. you are. You are. Well, I'm not going to miss it because I'm just going to open up a little browser window here on my uh, my iMac, which has got ah. a screen big enough for me to stream the football in one corner while doing all the recording and all my Twitter and, and everything else uh, for the questions. Wow. You see? So uh, for Tell me... Tell me if anything interesting happens. I will. It doesn't kick off till one o'clock, though, so... Okay. I, I think we're all right. How how has your weekend been? I assume it's just been packed with World Cup football. Basically, yeah. I, fi- I finally turned 32 as well. I was 31 until I was 32, as oh, you remember. Oh, yes. Belated birthday greetings to you. I hope Thank you had a lovely you. time. Did you, did you do anything nice? Uh, I watched the World Cup, basically. Right. I mean, uh, despite saying on the last podcast I wasn't that excited about the World Cup, I have watched... I'd say sort of 80% of yeah. it so far. Yeah, me um, too. It's just because it's on, isn't it? It's there and it's football and it's like, well, everyone else is watching it. I kind of feel left out of it if uh, if I didn't. Yeah, and it's been quite entertaining, hasn't it? I mean, there have yeah. been some duds, but uh, obviously Spain-Portugal are a particular Oof. highlight. Ooh, what a game. What a game of football that was. Fucking fantastic. And uh, someone was telling me during the weekend, a, a bar, a, a local bar I go to, um, actually, while we're on the subject of South Korea, that is the team I got in a World Cup sweep. Uh, from, oh, really? Yeah, from a bar. You paid a tenner, you got a team at random, and uh, my team is South Korea. So go, South Korea. I now, I, I, go on. <laughs> well, I, I also entered a sweepstake, £15 right. ahead. Uh, and I drew Saudi Arabia, oh. which <laughs> on the face of it was not great news. However, this is a particularly innovative sweepstake where they also run other categories. For example, there is a category for heaviest defeat. So I I could be onto a winner there, 5-0 yeah. already. I mean, that, that looks hard to beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. Not bad. So uh, in this other bar, though, not the bar that I'm in the sweepstake in, I go to a couple of bars. You know, that's that's fine, isn't it? That's Pretty okay. cool guy. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to, you know, spread myself... Uh, around. Mm. But um, anyway, they were saying that uh, on the Friday night with the Portugal-Spain game, the bar went absolutely mental 
when Cristiano Ronaldo scored that free kick. Like, absolutely berserk. People were watching. And it's not really one of those bars where the football is on and they've got the commentary on. There would have been music on. The TVs would have been on silent um, and everything else. But people just went bananas when Ronaldo scored that free kick. And it's weird, isn't it? Because if you were to go around that bar and say to people, do you like Cristiano Ronaldo? I guess the majority of people would say no. No, mm. I don't care for him at all. I can appreciate his talent as a footballer, but, you know, cheering for Cristiano Ronaldo, nah, I don't think I'll do that. But you get caught up in the moment. I was sitting there watching it going, oh, wow. That just, I don't know. I felt a bit dirty about it, you know, because it was just so good and so exciting and such an amazing thing to happen at that stage of the game. And then you go, it was Ronaldo. But, oh, God, it was so good, though. It was really something else. I suppose that is the quandary of Ronaldo's career, that he, he is really good, but he is really awful as a person. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it was one of those moments you're watching and you're thinking, I'm going to see this moment replayed, you know, in 10 years, in 20 years. It was uh, a little bit iconic. Even in the group stage, I think that will live long in the memory, that particular match. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a strange kind of meta-narrative, isn't it, to the World Cup, the sort of Ronaldo versus Messi versus Neymar mm. thing. Yeah. Uh, not going too well for, for Messi, you'd have to say. No, no, no. That was a poor penalty uh, against uh, Iceland mm. the other day. But that was brilliant as well, wasn't it? To watch a team like Iceland, a country like Iceland, with a population as small as it is. And I, I think it's, um, it's one of those things that people... Uh, don't like to talk about too much in football because it sounds like a cliche, doesn't it? But but hard work and organisation can take you a long way. They rode their mm. luck a little bit, you know, here and there. But for the most part, they made it so difficult for Argentina to break them down, the way they stayed defensively organised. You know, it's not particularly pretty, but what do you expect? For a team like Iceland isn't going to come out and, and play expansive football against somebody like Argentina. So to see them, uh, you know, A, equalise having gone behind and then hang on to it, save a penalty. Um, did Argentina hit the bar? I can't remember, but they came close once or twice as well. But uh, what an amazing result for uh, for a country like Iceland at the World Cup. Um, really, really enjoyable to watch that. You know, I know a lot of people will say, we want to see attacking football. We want to see exciting football. We want to see goals. But, you know, there's something about seeing a team do that to a team that isn't Arsenal that I quite like. Yeah. I mean, look, as a, a neutral within that game, you can't help but side with Iceland, can you? And they, they were really organised. They played with such commitment. I mean, that's not to downplay, you know, some of the stuff they did pull off going forward. There was, there was some really nice moments they had, particularly in the first half. But it was it was just one of those great sort of under, underdog stories. And uh, I really enjoyed that game, I must say. I suppose it's comparable in some ways, although the, the comparison between the teams is not the same. But Switzerland getting a draw with uh, Brazil, I suppose, is, is a bit of a shock too. And they were... They were relatively organised. I think they got away with it a bit more than Iceland did in terms of the missed chances, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we could talk about Switzerland, obviously, from an Arsenal point of view as well, mm. because it was the first time any of us will have watched Stefan Lichsteiner as an Arsenal player. Of course, people will have seen him before and seen him play for Juventus, but we're watching him now through the microscope or through the prism of, of red and white and being an Arsenal player. What, what did you make of him? I thought he was, I thought he was not bad at all. Uh, you know, he found it perhaps a little bit challenging at first, the, uh, the pace and the, the nimble, lithe Brazilians giving him a bit of a hard time down that side, but he grew into the game. And what I liked most was the speed of thought when the ball came to him. He played it first time a lot. 
and pretty much always found the man. Uh, mm. And I think, you know, when you're a fullback and you're having to play yourself out of tight positions, that's a really good quality to have. I think he probably will need that speed of thought to, to make up for his legs potentially fading yeah. over the next couple of years. And he, he didn't actually make it through the full match, did he? He went off with uh, was on cramp, very, couple of very close to, to the end. Yeah, yeah. But I thought he did OK. I mean, look what he was up against. It was Neymar, Marcelo on that flank, Coutinho pulling to that side too. I think any player would be forgiven for looking a bit stretched in that scenario. And I thought, given that, uh, I thought he did very well. I thought there was that bit of uh, niggle to him that, you know, I think that we've lacked from some of our defenders in recent <laughs> years. There was, <laughs> is that fair to say, there was a quote going round as well on Twitter describing Lichsteiner. I can't remember who it was. I think it was someone who played with him saying the, the angriest footballer he'd ever met. I'll tell you what um, it was, actually. I, I retweeted it. So if I go back over my timeline, uh, a guy called... Alex Sartre, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, I hope, who's at Sartre on Twitter. Uh, lots of E's at the end there, and that's how you say that. You've got to go E. Anyway, he says, Swedish referee Jonas Eriksson is in studio on Swedish TV talking about Lichsteiner. He's the most angry player I've dealt with. He's always angry, and it's impossible to have a discussion with him. Is that good or bad? Is I mean, is it good? I mean, in some ways I can see the goodness of it, but in other ways, if a guy is that intractable, you might talk himself in, into trouble. Maybe his experience helps him get out of it, but you know, you know when referees, maybe they're, I won't say they're predisposed to one side or another, but when you've got a guy who's always angry and is like driving you mad, maybe that has a, a, an impact on the decisions that a referee makes in a game. You know, he might give an easy free kick against you and it wasn't maybe a free kick, whereas he might be more inclined to give the benefit of a doubt to a guy who's really nice and, and chummy and, hey, ref, hey, ref, sure. mate, how's it going? Rather than, maybe. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> maybe, and I think maybe you might talk yourself into a, an extra booking or two a season. But I do think having that kind of character in the squad is probably a good thing. I mean, when Jens Lehmann was brought back to the club on the coaching staff, I think, you know, he's he's another player who probably fits into that category of very angry man. <laughs> and I think that a, a, a sprinkling of that within the squad is no bad thing. I thought he did all right. Uh, you know, he, he looked like what he is, which is a very canny very experienced defender who's going to make the the use of that and his understanding of the game to make up for some of his his physical deficiencies as he gets a bit older. I thought uh, Granit Xhaka played as well, of course, for Switzerland. And I didn't think he started great, but I thought he he improved as the game went on. Yeah, I thought it was a fairly okay performance from Xhaka. Nothing really to write home about one way or the other. Uh, Barami in midfield obviously had a bit of a a bit of a niggle with Neymar throughout. I mean, you don't have to do very much to Neymar to make him fall over and scream as if he's been absolutely, you know, disemboweled with a cutlass, uh, mm. you know, holding his shins when he gets, you know, clipped on the thigh and all that kind of stuff. It's not great to watch. Uh, you know, he's clearly an amazing footballer, a great talent, but I do wonder if, uh, you know, if this World Cup is is going to expose him a little bit in the sense that he's been injured for such a long time and is he actually ready is he properly ready for this you know um yeah and and has he has he been playing at the requisite level i mean i know you know the, there were games in the french league where he seemed to be really strolling and is he as sharp as he was during his time at barcelona yeah. especially after that layoff there's so much resting on him for brazil there is enormous pressure and i'm sure he probably is going to get fouled 
more than any other player out there, but he's oh, yeah. definitely making the most of it based on last yeah, night. Yeah, I think that was the stat from last night. He was fouled 10 times, which is a uh, you know a record for the tournament so far. I don't know, something like that. But uh, yeah, look, he's always going to be a target. We'll see what his fitness is like and see what kind of an impact he can have on the on the uh, on the tournament uh, as it goes on but you know you're looking at some of the results and you're looking at some of the teams Iceland for example Mexico we're seeing teams perhaps uh, who are not necessarily the most fancied pull off really really interesting results um mm. Ozil's Germany were fuck all over the place all yeah, over the were, place in that they game. Were a mess. Yeah, a total mess. I loved watching Mexico. There was something, you know, you're looking, uh, there was one point in the second half and all of a sudden Carlos Vela picks the ball up deep in his own half and, and running with it. He's got pace still to burn at 29 years of age. He's not that old. You know, he's he's running with the ball. Had their decision, or it might have been first half that one actually, but anyway, had their um, decision making and had their final pass been better, like Mexico could have won that by two or three. Yeah. In the first half, they had a string of chances, didn't they? You, you feared for them that they were going to eventually be punished for not taking them because yeah. they were breaking on Germany so well. And Vela was a really important part of it. I mean, never mind my own birthday. Carlos Vela being 29 made me feel pretty old. But, uh, yeah, it was good to see good to see him playing and playing well. He's playing in uh, America now, isn't he, with Los Angeles FC? Yeah. Um, no longer in Europe. And, he, and there was a long period where he was out of the Mexico international side. I think there was a... A falling out with a coach, or he was suspended for did six he, months. Yeah, and didn't he say he didn't want to play? I think it was. Um, I think he did. Yeah, I, I'm sure we have some Mexican listeners or some Carlos Vela uh, aficionados. Maybe Carlos Vela News is still out there. Carlos uh, Vela News. Yeah, that was a very niche website even then. It certainly but, was. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was a long. There you go. A hiatus. I think between 2010 and 20. 14 maybe he was yeah. left out of the Mexican squad partly by his own his own volition so yeah good to see him back playing at a World Cup I mean he was always very very talented wasn't he there was yeah. just he just never quite had what was required for us in the Premier yeah. League I mean I think he probably had it but he did like a he did like a night out to Carlos Vela, um, it's fair to say. So maybe that was maybe that was part of it. But uh, no, I mean, an amazing result for Mexico. Uh, great goal as well. I thought the goal was uh, superb. Um, yeah. How interesting to see as the uh, striker, uh, what's his name, Lozano? Loz- yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. uh, I'm going to just look that up just in case I've got it wrong. Uh, Mexico. Irving Lozano. Lozano, okay, perfect. Um the guy that he turned inside in the sort of right back position was none other than Arsenal's Mesut Ozil. I know, I know. I mean, what what does well, that say about the way Germany were set up? I mean, I have to say, watching their midfield, I did sort of have like a flashbacks a little bit to watching our own midfield at times last season. You know, Sammy Kadira was ostensibly a holding player, charging on up the field. Kadir and Cruz reminded me a little bit of Shaka and Ramsey when it when it doesn't work. Uh, I'm seeing it through an Arsenal prism, but th- th- they just didn't have any structure there. And that's just not something you associate with Germany at all, is mm. it? I mean, and, and Joachim Love, I think, has been in, involved with the national team for over a decade now. So you expect them to have that stability, that coherence to their team. But they they looked like a classic international side of players thrown together uh, without any discernible shape. So they've got big work to do. I mean, losing your first group game really does put the pressure on. 
Yeah, it's not impossible to go on and win it from there. Yeah. It's been done before. Spain but, did it. Yeah, yeah. and I think... Uh, Maybe Italy didn't do it, but in 1982, Italy started the tournament uh, relatively poorly before going on to win it. So, uh, yeah, look, it's not impossible. But based on what we saw yesterday from Germany, they've got a huge amount of work to do to to even just find a a system or, or something that makes them some way defensively secure because at times it was absolutely absurd the amount of space that Mexico had where fullbacks perhaps were supposed to be or you know I don't know what kind of cover the central defenders were getting from midfield either so it was a, it was a strange old performance and you can't really say that they uh, they deserved a great deal from that game based on the way that they played I know they dominated possession and everything else but they didn't really do too much in terms of in terms of chances that late one that came off the outside of the post that was a, a hell of a hit from that guy um, Brandt Julian Brandt Julian Brandt yeah. yeah it's interesting I don't know if it's the same in the coverage that you're watching but obviously I'm watching uh, the British coverage here and it's all the discussion of Germany's performance seems to come back to Leroy Sane of Manchester City and people yeah. saying you know why isn't he in the team and I think you know given his performances for City this season I think that's understandable but they still have so much quality there's such an abundance of talent you yeah. know a, a squad with those players regardless of Sane's uh, selection or not should have more than enough to beat Mexico you would say so they've got a lot of work to do mm. um obviously as an Englishman today's the big day this is where it all starts it's coming home Andrew I don't know if you've if you've heard about it with with Brazil and Germany and Argentina struggling there's only one possible conclusion. England are winning the World Cup. Yeah, so you've just set Tunisia up for a, an amazing 2-1, 2-1 win tonight, James. Uh, I think a, a dull nil-nil draw is probably the most likely scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it'll be interesting to see how, how England play. Um, you know, it's been a much more... I think it's been a much more circumspect build-up from both the England camp and the Engli- English press. Uh, to this one, you know, perhaps maybe lessons have been learned about, you know, all the chest thumping and everything else that um, we'll have to wait and see what Gareth Southgate can do with the group of players that he's got. But maybe we go through some of the other uh, results from an Arsenal point of view. Mohamed Elneny played against uh, Uruguay on Friday. He started that game. Yeah. Our potential new signing, Lucas Torreira, uh, only came off the bench late on, but uh, it was a, a bit of a heartbreaker in the end for Egypt going down 1-0 late on. It was, actually, and I thought they were pretty unfortunate to lose that game. But that's classic Uruguay, isn't it? They are they are fighters, and they, they got through in the end. Torreira, I mean, <laughs> I, we can say he made the difference, but he barely had a kick, did he, in, the, no. in that little spell on the pitch? I thought El Neni did very well, though. I thought he was pretty good in the midfield. Um, but Egypt missing Mo Salah, really. They didn't have any kind of cutting edge did they? Yeah, yeah I think they were looking at this game maybe if they could hold Uruguay to a draw then bring Salah back for yeah. for the next two games um, but uh, yeah late goal always puts pay to that um, Alex Iwobi played for Nigeria they lost mm. 2-0 to Croatia I was very they su- were not they, they were, were not, not good, good. No, no no hello to all our Nigerian listeners um but yeah, that was not a good performance from them. It was disappointing, really, wasn't it? I mean, I, I thought it was. Yeah, John, John Obi Mikal at, at number ten. I mean, I know. I mean, they what? did it at Wembley as well against England. But I have to say, in that game, particularly in the second half, they acquitted themselves relatively well. But I thought they fell well short of that against. Well, admittedly, is a pretty good Croatia side. There are a lot yeah. of good players in there: Modric, Rakitic, Perisic. But 
I, I was, uh, yeah, I was really disappointed in Nigeria. And Iwobi was a peripheral figure in the game, really, wasn't he? He got substituted after about 70 minutes, but was never really influential in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had, um, we had some VAR in the... Uh, oh, mm. the VAR. Yeah. In the France game. Yeah, too near, too far. <laughs> too far. What did you think about the VAR in the in the France Australia game? What was your uh, re- response to that? Particularly, I suppose the the Griezmann penalty award. I think it just is a matter of getting used to the game carrying on and then being stopped, isn't it? Because that's something yeah. that's so um, alien. That's exactly the word I was looking for, alien. Sorry, I just ate a mint and it's uh, burned my mouth off. It's stronger um, than you anticipated. Yeah, it is actually. So, um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was strange. When I look at the decision, I think it was probably the right decision to give a penalty. Um, mm. You know, I know... Yeah, I don't get think a, just because you touch the ball, yeah. it's not a foul. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Prefer. So, um, it was uh, it was a strange old game, you know, but what, what what I think is really quite interesting is the fact that we're... They're using VAR for decisions that the officials should be getting right anyway. So, yes, yes. On TT, handling the ball, I know it's quick and everything else, but that's what the officials are there for. And then there was the one in the Peru-Denmark game where that went to VAR and it was very clearly a foul. In real time, you could see that was a foul. So where I think VAR um, is interesting is when you have something like the Griezmann thing and, uh, you know, the referee, um, uh, you know, I don't know what he thought he saw when the challenge was initially made, but after he saw the replay or the replay was shown to him and they made the decision in the box, in the sky, wherever it is, um, they gave the penalty. But I wonder if we're going to become a bit dependent on VAR to make decisions that referees should be making anyway. Well, I think we already are to an extent because, you know, our, uh, linesmen or whatever they're called, assistant referees, have been advised, I think that's the right word, not to flag on occasions where there's genuine uncertainty yeah. because the VAR will resolve it after the fact. But I feel like that's a slightly dangerous game. And, and similarly, in the case of Griezmann, you know, ultimately the referee is not going to make a call there, is he? He's not going to award a penalty because he knows he's going to get the opportunity to review. And yeah. I, I feel like that does take some of the impetus out of the moment because if he makes the call, he can always reverse it. But the reluctance to make the call makes the referees a bit passive within the game. Yeah. Um, I I still have a lot of reservations about... I actually don't contest that VAR is getting more decisions correct. I just don't love it as a viewer and as a fan. I find it uh, a little bit... Awkward. Yeah, I, I guess that's inevitable at this stage. But maybe it's the, teething things. But you know, the thing is, is that you know, the commentators, for example, are able to tell us very quickly that's been sent for a VAR review. Sure. We know that, but we know that because the commentator is telling us. But maybe it's something they have to build into the experience and build into not just uh, broadcasting, but within the stadium as well, where somehow the fans within the stadium are aware that what's happening is being reviewed by VAR in as much real time as that can possibly be done, right? So whether that's putting something up on a big screen, whether it's playing a sound through the tannoy or something, I don't know, but I don't think it's right that fans in the stadium are completely unaware that a decision is being reviewed as the game is going on because 
all of a sudden it just causes confusion for those. And I think if you're the one that's in the stadium and you're paying the ticket and you're paying the the expensive ticket prices, you should be as up to speed with everything as people watching at home. You know, so I think these are we're, we're in the nascent stages of of VAR and the way it's going to be worked uh, in football. But yeah, you know, I can see your reservations as well, you know. It, it's it's uncharted territory, and inevitably there will be teething problems. Like, maybe this. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say maybe the solution is something like if an incident occurs, like the foul on Griezmann, for example. Yeah. But play carries on. Is there a signal the referee could give that to say this will be reviewed? Do you see what I mean? At a point, so it's yeah. like. And also, I wonder about when the play goes on in those circumstances. What happens if something happens? Uh, while the ball's still in play, like what if the other team go up the other p- end of the pitch and score? Does it just get pulled back? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. a guy puts in a terrible foul at yeah. that point? I don't know. I mean, I guess these are things that we'll only find out in due course as and when they happen. I don't know mm. what the, I don't know what the situation is. I mean, why, in your opinion, was VAR not used for the Switzerland equaliser? Because that's a foul. That's yeah. a, I know it's a small foul. And it's the kind of foul that happens in the box all the time, but it's a foul that led to a goal. I mean, the guy's positioning wasn't particularly great, but replay after replay after replay of the Switzerland equaliser showed us an obvious foul Mm. from different angles, in different speeds. And, you know, however way, however you want to look at it, whether it was a a gigantic push in the back or a, a slight push in the back, it's still a foul. So why was VAR not used... To to review that goal. Actually, somebody said. I think I saw somebody on Twitter say that um, that it was used, that they did review it, but they decided that it wasn't worthy A of clear yeah. error. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see what the harm is in giving the referee if you're going to use VAR and giving the referee the opportunity to review that. I'm not even saying he has to overrule it yeah. because obviously this is the problem of football, right? The the subjectivity to the application of the laws. You can have technology for if the ball's over the line. I think you can even have technology for mm. offside decisions, but fouls is so much more of a a grey area that it's. I think that's what we're we're very quickly realizing, isn't it? That yeah. it is it is impossible to be absolute in this sport, um, and that's sort of the brilliance of it. And I do think that if every decision was correct and made by robots, I do think the sport <laughs> would be worse for it in a way. Like we yeah. wouldn't have anything to talk about. Um, but yeah, so I, I I don't know. I mean, I think you know I I'm probably being what's the word for someone who's. Uh, not good at moving with technology. I'm a luddite. A lo- I'm probably being a bit of a luddite, but I think I'm also being a bit of a romantic. And I feel like some of the romance of the game dies a little bit when they have to go away and look at a TV screen. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I think as someone who's in the stadium, I think it's such a shame, and I need but to find a side. way to manage that stadium experience better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sorry, I was just putting on my stream of the uh, of the game here. That was a little bit. Ah, of-, of course, you you can't miss your boys. No, no, no. Do you know what's great though? What I really like about this World Cup, and I said this on Twitter, and this is very niche. I like the sound of the football being kicked. Ooh, right. Okay. The microphones that they're using have got a good uh, base setting on them. There's a there's a bit of a weight to them. Sometimes you hear a ball being kicked, and it's it's quite a quite a sort of like a that like a smack I understand. kind of thing, like a, like a slap. Yeah, and whereas this is more like a, like a, I don't know how to do the sound, like a, 
Yeah, I don't know. I like it. I approve of this part of the, the World Cup. Um, that's one of the things I like. And also one of the things I like as well are the, uh, the announcements that go on in the background. They seem to be pretty cool. Like there's all kinds of you know, Tannoy announcements with all the yeah. reverb and everything else. And they're adding to the atmosphere of, of the World Cup for me. I might build in a few of those into the background of the podcast here. Just you know, while be- we're talking, we could just have... And it's all echoey in the background. So maybe I'll I'd do like that. that. In a variety of sort of, you know, unidentifiable languages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I can't speak many of them, though, unfortunately. (laughs) Is that, that, I mean, have we covered off the kind of Arsenal interest in the World Cup to date? I mean, Joel Campbell, Costa Rica took the bold step, starting without the only player that I really know on their team. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, he didn't start that game against Serbia and they lost 1-0. That is amazing. Yeah, uh, I don't know how much difference he would have made. What what was interesting this morning was I I was looking through our squad and Joel Campbell is the sixth longest serving player at the club right now. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? I know he hasn't played that much for us, but that's kind of where our squad is. That's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the five ahead? Can we figure it out quickly? Uh, Wilshire... For now, anyway, until Ramsey, he goes, Ramsey, Koscielny, uh, and then the the two academy graduates, Maitland Niles and uh, Alex Iwobi, who've been there longer, but not part of the first team longer. First that, team, so yeah. if you take them out of it, he's probably the fourth longest serving first team player at the club, Joel Campbell. We've, we've mentioned Jack Wilshire there. Yeah. I, I tell you, a little bit of uh, London Colney gossip for you yeah which is that Unai Emery uh, has been holding I don't know if you know this but has been holding meetings with members of the first team squad who are not at the World Cup right uh, and not on inclu- holidays and not on holidays indeed but several of them have been in uh, to Colney to have a chat with him Ainsley Maitland-Niles I think made reference to that when he uh, you know announced his new squad number and new contract and uh, Jack Wilshere all I know about Jack Wilshere's uh, talk with uh, it wasn't just with Uno it was with uh, some other executive members of Arsenal it was very brief very brief indeed and oh. uh, the, the anticipation is that he's, he's not going to be signing a new contract anytime soon so mm. I think we are in into a matter of days really in terms of uh, how much longer he's one of our longest-serving players? Yeah, yeah, that that is uh, that is interesting. This talk of uh, Crystal Palace being interested in Wilshire, mm. uh, a lot of talk about West Ham, which I'm not sure about. I think they just link West Ham because he's a West Ham fan or grew up, or his dad was a West Ham fan or something like that. So I'm not quite sure uh, how much interest there actually is from from. Uh, from West Ham, Crystal but Crystal Palace, Palace would be interesting, that, wouldn't it? Because that's Roy Hodgson, yeah. and he likes him, and he's played him for England. And uh, and one would imagine that they might not have uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek next season because he's done quite well. So Chelsea might take him back, and Jack Wilshere loan play. him somewhere else. Well, who knows? So yeah, probably <laughs> back to Holland with him or something. But uh, yeah, I think Jack Wilshere would be a good fit in that role for Palace. I, I actually think. That would be quite a good move for him. I think better than going to a, a David Moyes-led... Oh, it's not David Moyes anymore. It's Manuel Pellegrini. Pellegrini yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, we'll Even have to so, wait. so, I'd rather see him at Palace than West Ham. It's just an instinctive thing for me. Yeah, so the other, I mean, the other news, the big news uh, of the week from an Arsenal point of view uh, was Granit Xhaka signing a, a new contract, mm. which I, I think answers one question, at least for me, which was, is he the kind of player that Unai Emery fancies? and mm-hmm. wants to use in, in his midfield. 
had he not been given a new contract, we could speculate on that a little bit and say maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe they're just prepared to to let him see out his deal or, or you know, maybe um, see how he fits in next season before they offer him new terms. But they've decided that the 25-year-old midfielder, Swiss international, lots of experience, is a guy who this team, I'm not saying he's going to be built around Granit Xhaka, but he's clearly going to be a fundamental part of the squad and the first team next season. So that is interesting in itself. How we're going to use him remains to be seen, but if we are under the assumption, and let's let's make the assumption that Lucas Torreira is going to sign from Sampdoria, is that what we're looking at? Xhaka Torreira as our first choice midfield two, if we're playing a midfield two, or what do you think? I think think it is, but I think if they can convince Aaron Ramsey to stay, I think that they might look at it as more of a three. I think that there's lovely balance across that three, uh, and a lot depends on Ramsey, but irrespective of that, given the uncertainty of a Ramsey, given the fact that the club's mind seems to be made up on Jack Wilshire, I think signing Shaka to a long-term deal makes a lot of sense yeah. uh, and it is a it is a statement of faith in him but as soon as Emery came in and there was that interview with him talking about you know what he what he likes in a defensive midfielder and he he spoke about how he values defensive midfielders as distributors more yeah. than destroyers because when you're a big club you're in possession of the ball and what they do with the ball is more important than what they do without well Shaka is kind of uh, you know the perfect example of that and hopefully Torreira mm. is the kind of player who might counterbalance some of those those flaws yeah. in this game. It's certainly more a more mobile player than Shaka. Sure. I mean, what James Horncastle said on the Arscast on Friday, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, James obviously knows Torreira very well, mm. but he operates at the base of a, a sort of a diamond midfield for Sampdoria. So perhaps we're looking at Shaka and Ramsey, but with Torreira playing in behind them, yeah. which then leaves you with a number 10 kind of a player, which would indicate perhaps Mesut Ozil is the guy that, that might be uh, that might be playing there. So that's certainly an interesting thing to speculate on, but we've got to obviously sign Torreira first. But, I mean, what do you think of the extension for Xhaka? Is it merited? Do you feel like... I mean, look, there's there's often more to contract extensions than uh, somebody's performances. How they business yeah, as well, right? You know, it makes sense perhaps to to keep a player who's coming into the prime years of his career, uh, you know, tie him down to a new deal. And if it doesn't work out in a year's time or 18 months' time, you've still got the the ability to to sell him for for a reasonable fee because he's he's under contract. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty pretty okay with it. I have to say. He's a player who's clearly got strengths. Hmm. He definitely has strengths to his game. I thought he was really quite good for the for the last third, at least, of the season. Maybe um, not quite half a season, but certainly a, a good chunk of the second half of the season. I thought he was very, very good for us. Um, so maybe they're looking at those strengths and identify. They can't be blind to the weaknesses, right? So... If they are aware of the weaknesses that he has in his game, A, they can be improved through better coaching, better instruction, better tactical instruction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But also perhaps by bringing in players who can offset some of those weaknesses around him. And maybe that's what they're planning on doing. Yeah, there are things he does really well. I think another great asset of Shaka, and I don't want to jinx him here, but is that he's very 
robust. He's very resistant to injury. He was involved yeah. in every single Premier League game last season. I think in a squad like ours, that's a, a, a useful asset. I think that he benefits from a little bit of kind of recency bias in that he tends to... Well, of his two seasons with us, he's finished them both very well. Uh, but I think that it's been a journey for him to get there on, on yeah. in both campaigns. However, what that does say about him maybe is that he is someone who has the capacity to learn and improve and to alter his situation. At least he does seem to improve. At least he does seem to, uh, you know... Uh, correct some of his mistakes as the season wears on. I think it makes perfect sense to sign him. I think there is a really, really good player there. I think that he just has to be complemented by the right partners. And that's not always been the case at Arsenal. So hopefully Torreira is a step in the right direction. I mean, it does feel like that is a deal that is going to get done. It might just be a question of waiting until... Uruguay's participation in the World Cup is is over, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So look, it's it's an interesting piece of news, and it's a clear show of faith in him um, and what he captain can do. Material, do you think? I have a sneaky feeling about that because when you look at who the options for captain are next season, maybe Aaron Ramsey. You know, mm. Um, mm. people talk about giving it to Licksteiner, but like, I I don't think we should go through the season with another. Uh, non-playing captain. I think we need to have a captain on the pitch. Um, so he he would be one of the candidates. I think you know him or uh, Ramsey. I think are the two. When you look at the players who are going to play most often next season, so yeah, I think if Ramsey signs the contract, I think he will get it. I think yeah. it's actually something that's sort of been discussed uh, between player and the club. I- by any means assert or a dead thing that Ramsey does sign that contract. So Shaka's going to be in the frame, I think, for some time, yeah. All right. Well, look, that's uh, the Arsenal roundup. That is the World Cup roundup. Um, South Korea and Sweden Mm. are are playing right at this moment in time. It's uh, still nil-nil, and we're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunner Blog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just uh, to tell you, if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, we've got some good stuff coming up for you. We have a history podcast about the 2001-2002 season that is upcoming and coming up this week exclusively to Arsblog members on Patreon 
an interview I did last week with uh, Philippe Senderos, James. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's I cool. Mean, what's he up to these days without giving too much away? He is in MLS. He's uh, playing in MLS for Houston Dynamo. Uh, he's been injured a bit, so he's only making his way back to the first team now. But we had a great chat about his uh, his career, his life at Arsenal, the good times and the bad times at Arsenal, uh, what happened after that, where he went, how his career has gone. And he's very upfront, very frank about it. Smart guy, really smart guy, talks very well, has a lot of affection for Arsenal because of the time he spent here uh, at the club. So you can hear that. It'll be out um, on general release in a few weeks. But if you want to hear it first, you can join up at patreon.com forward slash arseblog uh, for a five or a month, five dollars, five euros a month, rather. Um, and that will get you access to the Philippe Senderos one and all the other extra content we have back there, as well as uh, helping to keep uh, keep things going around here, help support everything that we do on Arseblog and Arseblog News and all of our writers and columnists and all that kind of stuff. So if you feel like uh, getting involved in that, you can do that. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. Lovely. Lovely right. indeed. So I've got a question for you first. Uh, oh, go on. Yeah, it's, a, it's an easy question, especially for you. It comes from Kirsan Apala, who is at Toronto Gooner 7, and he wants to know, why do people have so many diverse opinions on, on Mesut Ozil's performances after each and every game? Is he so hard to analyse? <laughs> I don't know if this is a reference to the fact that I I got into a Twitter storm of my own after the... No, during the Germany game. Right. Because I observed that... Uh, I felt that Germany's decision to play Mesut Ozil as a very advanced number 10, albeit one who who did run back when required, uh, left their ageing and not massively mobile central midfielders very exposed. And I espoused, I felt that they would have been better served by going with a third central midfielder and letting Ozil play off the flank, as they did in 2014 when they won the World Cup. Right. Um, a lot of people felt that I was being very unfair on Mesut Ozil, but it wasn't simply a question of... I wasn't actually criticising Ozil. I thought he did fine, he did nothing wrong. As discussed, he was the guy who ran back when they did break through that midfield. But I do think he is a very curious player because there is a, a huge benefit to him. But I do think that that comes with costs that have to be managed. And I feel that Germany didn't manage those costs particularly well yesterday. And I feel that Arsenal, historically... Haven't and one of the big questions for me of next season. One of the things I'm really intrigued to see is how Unai Emery uh, accommodates him. Mm. It's 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 a really really big question. We talked before the break about a diamond midfield, and in theory, that could work really well. You know, you've got a clear four there: Torreira at the base, Shaka and Ramsey either side, Özil as a ten, and what that also gives you is a two up front. But I. I can't think of a diamond ever being particularly successfully applied in the Premier League. So if he does go that way, it, you know, it, there'll be big question marks over that. Ozil himself is, I think, I just think he's a, he's he's one of the, the game's biggest names and game's biggest players. So his role and his contribution is always going to invite uh, attention, much mm. like we're all talking about Messi and Neymar and Suarez. I think Ozil's yeah. in that 
bracket. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I get it from that point of view, from a reputation point of view, but you very rarely, I know Neymar is off the back of a poor performance uh, last night, but you never really hear people say, well, Ronaldo was shit or Messi was shit, or even if they were generally a bit shit, they tend to crack in with goals. You know, they they score a lot yeah. of goals, uh, those guys. So there's there's real product. Oh, 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 what? <gasps> fuck. Jesus, what a save. Uh, Sweden almost scored there. Um, ball came across, squirted through the defense. The guy is six yards out, and I'm just watching it again here. Oh, straight at the keeper. Straight at the keeper, whoever the Swedish number nine is. Berg is his name. Berg, yeah, he's yeah. That's exactly what he is. He's Berg and no camp. There's and abs- the man Cho Hyun Wu has delivered the save. Wow, I mean, like keeper got there, but uh, you know he he hit it straight at him from really close, uh, and he should have scored. But anyway, what I was saying was you you, you get on. people talking about Ozil and saying he's he's shit. Oh, header just wide. Um, they say he's shit, or they'll talk about him being rubbish or ineffective, and he's one of those players you can look at, and if you watch a game, you might think, well, what did he what did he do? And then you look at the stats, and you see that he created more chances than you remember, or made more key passes, or, you know, was the man who had the most touches of the ball. You know, I like him. I really like Mesut Ozil as a player, but at the same time, I, I, I have um, doubts over him producing when we, Arsenal, have really needed him most. And then some of those doubts are offset by the fact that I think Arsenal's problems have been more structural than one individual performing above and beyond to 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 offset those problems if you know what i mean so uh, uh, yeah uh, yeah i agree with that i think but i think the the problem of Ozil, and i think aaron ramsey's a little bit like this as well is that he is a player who if you play him in his best position is so defining of a team's shape that yeah. it, it you know you you need <laughs> We, we have never been good enough to sustain that. Uh, and that's not... I'm not saying that that is his fault. I'm saying that he is that type of player. Yeah. You need such a solid platform and we're not good at solid platform. Yeah. I also think, and this people might laugh or they might think I'm crazy, but I think he's he's got one of those faces people don't like. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. It's more than his face, isn't it? It's his demeanour as well. Yeah, you know, so the 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 style, the running style. He's he's uh, languid, I guess. And some people some people will confuse that with laziness. I don't think he's lazy. I really don't. I don't think he's a particularly great defender. But when you you know you do you don't have to dig too hard to find the 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 stats for the number of sprints he does for the yards covered, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, but I just think he's got one of those faces as well that people don't take to. Um, I mean, the problem is that any analysis of Ozil is difficult and I think requires nuance. And nuance is a diminishing quality <laughs> in, yeah. in the world, particularly online. And like, yeah, he, he does sprint, but, you know, he he can't tackle and he can't win a header. Those are just... Yeah. That's, that's, that's definite. That doesn't mean he doesn't work hard or have other qualities. I just think that uh, 
I suppose what it is is that I suppose the reason he invites so much debate is that debate these days is so definitive. It's Ozil is a genius or Ozil is a fraud. And, you know, if that argument can rage forever because neither is necessarily mm. correct. You know, everything needs to be more qualified than it ever possibly can be in 140 characters. So it's a fertile debate because it's not one that can be clear-cut. Yeah. Um, but is there not also a, a yeah. measure of expectation when it comes to your club record signing, when it comes to, you know, a guy who's being paid £300,000 a week or whatever it is, that you've got to perform to that level, that that in itself invites uh, a measure of scrutiny that's not applied to, to other players, right? So... I, I, yeah, I, I personally feel that Ozil's current wage that he's on now at Arsenal is not a wage that his performances have ever justified over a period of more than two months. I don't think that he's ever been a 350 grand or whatever it is a week player for yeah. us over the course of a season. Sure. So... Yeah, at so the I same time, you can understand the importance of keeping him exactly. and giving him the deal, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I would I would agree with that. But if that's what but it the, took... But, yeah, that's what it took. And I understand, you know, a bit like when we had to kind of... It's not the same situation when we had to overpay Theo Walcott significantly to keep him. It was yeah. very important yeah. for the club. He wasn't necessarily worth that money, probably even less so than Ezel is worth his. It, I think the problem now... Uh, it's only a problem if you perceive it that way, but is that we have made that commitment. So... We have to make the team function around him, mm. or make him function within the team. Yeah, um, I think that's that's the key, not necessarily yeah. the first one, the second one. Well, that's well, that's that, and that is a. I would argue that is something that Arsene Wenger never really pulled off um, mm. to the degree that, say, Real Madrid did when when they had us sure. on the books. Sure. Okay. So I I don't I can't remember what the original question was, but the I feel like the original question was why is he so hard to analyze? Or is he so hard to analyze? I think because his contributions uh I think it's because his negative contributions are sometimes more visible than his positive ones. But that doesn't mean that that is the correct balance. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's he looks sometimes he looks worse than he is. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, I think if you were to say, you know, when you look at his stats from last season, people will say, was Ozil any good last season? A lot of people say, no, he was terrible. Or he didn't perform anywhere near as well as we would expect him to perform. And yet he ends up with 14 assists. Five goals. Mm -hmm. You would expect more goals, perhaps, from a player of his quality. So, you know, I think... I think, like you say, the debate is is uh, needs to exist more in the middle than at the fringes. So, um, yeah. But it's it's one of the really fascinating things, isn't it, about next season? What what's going to happen with Ursula? I yeah. do think that's a huge question, and something we'll talk about a lot more mm. uh, over, the, over the next year or so. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we have another question? Yes. Imagine if it was also about Ursula, where we just did the whole. But that's the thing. You could. I really think you could just do. Uh, Oh, I'll tell you what, this isn't a question, but Di Marzio, uh, the Italian transfer Guru. title man. Yeah. I, I, did I just dream this? I saw it on a screen and then I flicked over. It says that Napoli are asking about taking Petr Cech on yeah. loan. I saw stories about that over the weekend. Did you? Yeah, I saw, the, saw that doing the rounds. But I, it would be very strange to me that we would do that after giving Petr Cech the number one jersey because clearly that's a decision that's been made 
I would assume in consultation with the new manager, do you want to keep Petr Cech? Okay, well, let's give him the number one jersey. South Korea having a player taken off here. He looks like he's absolutely bollocks his hamstring. He was uh, landed funnily after going stretching for a header. So um, Park is off and Kim is on. So there you go. Couldn't be clearer. Yeah. Uh, who, who? Yeah, but I, I can't answer? see. I can't see. I can't see us moving no. Petr Cech. No. It, by the way, this isn't a question from a, a listener, but what do you make of the stories about the uh, supposed goalkeeper target? Do you think that's someone coming in to be number one or someone coming in to be number two? Uh, his name is Bernd Leno or Leno, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've read mixed reports about him. Good shot stopper, but apparently lapses in concentration. His distribution is not particularly great at times. You know, are peppering his career at an age when those things should be on the wane. So people people who watch more Bundesliga than me uh, have misgivings about him at the price in particular because I don't think he's that cheap, is he? We're, we're talking 25, no. 25 million. 20 million plus, yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. I can't confess to have seen him a great deal. In terms of the age profile, in terms of the experience, I think he ticks the boxes of the player that you want to bring in. Um whether they see him as somebody who can be developed. Apparently, he's a big favourite of Sven Mislintat, so... Yeah, long-term. Yeah, so whether they see him as somebody who can come in, work alongside Petr Cech, the experience of Petr Cech, work with a new goalkeeping coach as well, uh, and maybe iron out those flaws in his game and work on those to help him realise his potential, maybe that's what they're doing in terms of the uh, in terms of the goalkeeper. Um, mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see, I guess. Uh, I feel um, like if it is him, he'd be coming in to play the Cup games, to play the Europa League games. Czech would stay, Premier League number yeah. one probably for another year. Uh, and then see how, see how Lino does. You know, it gives us an opportunity to have a look at him uh, in that time. And if, if he's not the guy... Maybe look to someone else, mm. but it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, more money than I thought we'd be spending on a goalkeeper. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, I should probably ask a question. Okay. Uh, so let's have this one. It's from Gunner Pride, who's at Gunner underscore Pride. And Gunner Pride asks, how beneficial will it be for the youngsters to play in the Checker Trade Trophy this coming season? Will it be used for the likes of Nelson, Willock and Ketty and Co or youngsters further away from the first team? Have you followed this story at all? Yeah, about I just saw, trophy? yeah, I just saw a little bit of it there um, before we came on air. Gunnar UK, uh, at Gunnar UK, who's Rob, was saying, are you disappointed that we're contributing to the devaluing of a cup competition by joining the um, mm. Czech trade trophy well, with our under-21. So do you want to explain what this is? Well, uh, yeah, as, as far as I understand it, it's the former uh, Johnston's paint trophy, isn't it? So it's the it's contested, a cup competition, I think with group stages, that is contested between the teams in League One and League Two. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, a minor English football trophy that they, in order to introduce a bit of glamour and as part of the... Uh, the Commission's football development findings that the FA held a few years ago, they have invited a series of uh, top-flight teams to contribute, I think it's under-21 teams yeah. to. Uh, and there are, there are rules about who can actually play. I think players who are over the age of 21, I think you can only use two um, in your matchday squad and only two players who've played more than 40 
first team game. So this really is focused on the younger elements of the squad. I'm yeah. not even sure if people like Nelson or Willock would, would feature in it. I think it might be the tier below that. Um, but do I think it's a bad thing? I tell you what, I tell you what I think. I think it's a good Go thing for for us. For us. Yes, for I, I agree. Under 21s because you know, reserve team football, youth team football, under 23 football is all good and well, but you can only go so far playing at that level. And when you're playing football against experienced professionals, against men, against guys who are perhaps more wily and canny, you know, uh, at League One and League Two level, you can be quite sure that there's a, a few guys who've got a touch of the Licksteiner about them, you know, a bit of the bastardry, For you sure. know, uh, strong, physically uh, intimidating, imposing. I think it's great for our young players to play against those teams. Whether it's great for those teams and those clubs and that competition I'm not necessarily sure. It seems to me that the benefit is only for the development of young players at top clubs rather than the trophy itself. I could be wrong. Um, maybe it maybe it will uh, add a real extra dynamic to this uh, to this trophy. Certainly, it's added focus to it and a bit of interest from our point of view because it's not something I would have uh, had any interest in whatsoever. And if, you know, Arsenal under-21s are playing against Colchester or I don't know who, um, you know, it, it raises the profile of the competition and of the trophy and of the other club and, and everything else. So uh, I think there's an interesting um, rule, isn't there, that all the games will be played away from home. So there's no yes. question of, of Arsenal under-21s playing at the Emirates. Uh, they've got to go away from home and they've got to go to different places and different stadiums and perhaps facilities that aren't what they're used to at London Colney or, or Hale End or whatever. So from our point of view, I think it's really positive for those players. It could be positive for the for the other clubs. It could be positive for the for the competition itself. But yeah, we'll 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 just have to wait and see on it. I mean, my gut feeling is that it can't hurt. Um, at first, maybe, you know, when we get down the road a little bit, we'll find out that there are problems that we haven't considered. Um, but yeah, I, you know, from our players' point of view, I, I quite like the idea. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to a Wolves fan about this. Wolves obviously were in the Championship last year. They entered uh, a young underage side into the competition last year and they got some great experience for some of their younger players and had some really exciting games. I think... You know, the, the fan I was speaking to had travelled to some of these games and said there was a great atmosphere. Um, and they felt like proper cup ties, you know, because yeah. you were going away from home and you are playing against teams down the league. And it's a, I mean, for those teams, if you're a fan of a League Two side, this is realistically your only chance, your only prospect of a Wembley final. In some ways, in Arsenal, Man City final, you know, uh, in, in this competition at Wembley mm. next season. But. Yeah, selfishly, as an Arsenal fan, I do think it's really good. And I think we will be, if, if we're expecting an easy ride through to the final, I think we'll be really surprised. I think it will be very tough for those kids to go down against some of those old pros in the lower leagues. And I, I, I think it will be a real, real challenge. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it'll teach them a lot. You know, you can be sure oh, that sure. they'll be, you know, uh, as as focused and professional as they might be. There'll be a few that will will learn 
quite a lot along the way about how to behave and how to play and how to deal with situations on the pitch and, and everything else. Like if you've got a, a grizzled center half or an old veteran midfielder, who's going to like, you know, uh, really put it about, that's something for you to, to learn. And if you're going to do flicks and tricks and you end up getting booted up in the air, well, you know, welcome to football. Welcome to the way that the game is played uh, across the world, whether people like to think it or not. You know, um, th- there's a lot to learn when you're a young player and you can only learn so much playing against other young players is when you come up against other teams and other men that I think uh, a huge part of, of the uh, development occurs. So, yeah, I'm I'm OK with it and I'm interested to see uh, to see how it's going to go. So, um, OK, here is a question from Puneet Verma, who says, which two current players when combined would be the would be the answer to our problems. For example, I always used to think that a Giroud-Welbeck hybrid would have been the perfect striker. Yeah, we've talked about this before. We've attempted to crossbreed certain players, I seem to remember, yeah. with with no success. You know, it's not like Jurassic Park. Nature doesn't find a way. <laughs> I, uh, what, what can we... What, well, what are our problems? Let's let's identify our problems. Midfield. And then we can come up with our solution. The base of our midfield. Midfield. The base of our midfield. Well, I feel like, hmm. I mean, it'd be quite nice to give, say, Granite Shaka Mohamed El Nenny's engine. I would like that. Mm. Yeah, that's not a bad uh, shout. Not a bad shout. Or, yeah, or maybe. I mean, the thing is, we haven't even really got the midfielder that I want half the parts of do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. uh, anything coming to mind for you uh, I, I think like a Hector Bellerin Nacho Monreal crossover would be that would really, be a hell of a fullback that'd be a great fullback wouldn't it you know the pace yeah. of, of Bellerin and the experience and wisdom of Monreal bit of goal scoring in there bit of creativity in there yeah I think that that'd be a decent like one that. yeah what if you could take you know the the creativity of Meza Erzul, but also add that clinical edge of Aubameyang. Say, you know, that would be some attacking player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sort of a bit like Thierry Henry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, just make a, a new Thierry Henry from those. Um, I'd rather just have Thierry Henry if we can. If we can have Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira, <laughs> then I, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, that's all we need to do. Just go back to the past and uh, live there. But again, like Jurassic Park, if we if there's a mosquito somewhere that bit Patrick Vieira... Yeah, can, but we've got we to wait millions it. of years. You see, we've got to I wait know. for that mosquito to be encased in amber and then for Jeff Goldblum to come along and do his little speech about butterfly wings and then six fucking movies down the line in the franchise, we might get what we want. Do you think all characters that Jeff Goldblum plays in films should just be called Jeff Goldblum? I think there's an essence of Jeff Goldblum that is there in every single character that he plays. Like, you know the yeah. way sometimes... They should all just be called Jeff, I'm yeah. convinced. You know the way sometimes you see an actor and you go, oh, wow, I, you know, uh, I'd completely forgotten it was him or he looks so different or, sure. or whatever. Transformative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People who can like wear costumes or grow beards and disguises or whatever the hell it is, you know, or they mm. play against type in some way that it's so anathema to, the, to who we think they are in real life that you're going, oh, that's startling. I forgot, you know, Jeff Goldblum is always... You can't look at Jeff Goldblum and not think that you're looking at Jeff Goldblum. It's impossible. Mm. impossible. And everyone loves Jeff Goldblum, don't they? I've yeah. never heard someone dislike Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. 
They do. They seem to. Someone I know went to see him in a play and they said that even when he was in a play, like he was basically just like looking out at the audience the whole time, sort of smiling at them like, hello, I'm Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) And they loved it because you'd be so happy just to see Jeff Goldblum. You don't care what he does. He wouldn't even have to do the lines. If he just started talking about his life, I think people would just start clapping. I would would quite like to sit down with Jeff Goldblum. Like if I was in in a panic situation or a hostage situation, let's say you walk into a bank and all of a sudden the bank gets robbed. But Jeff Goldblum was one of the guys uh, in the bank, fellow customer, mm. client. Like, I, I would be comforted by that because I feel like Jeff Goldblum would be able to talk us out of it. He'd be able to convince the robbers, come on, guys, you know, what are you doing with your lives? Yeah. he keep everything calm. Yeah, I like Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I think everybody does. Listen, yeah. more transfer updates coming in. <gasps> I like this sort of, I feel like we're presenting Sky Sports News. What, what, what? Joel Campbell speaks out on his future. What? He says... The World Cup won't change my life. I don't come to show myself. I come to help my national team. I know about my contract and I know who I am. God has a plan for me. Wow. We well, we, we wait and see what God's plan for Joel is. Uh, what if it's to become the greatest harmonica player of all time? Then that will be a story worth watching unfold. Uh, and I think it could be. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be do something on the on the bench for Costa Rica. Learning to play the harmonica might be a useful use of his time. Have you ever tried to play the harmonica? Yeah, I don't understand oh. it. I, I I couldn't even get to grips with it. Yeah. Oh. I, I just blow into it and move up and down. Have you got one? Uh, no, I used to have one. Like I bought one when I was a teenager, and then it was like Same. I can't even conceive of how to play this. Like if no, it's a the piano, holes are too small. Are you choosing which hole you're blowing through? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I mean, like a piano, you go, okay, I know. If I sit down, I go press the keys in the right order. But this is all about like which tiny hole do I blow into, and do I do I do I suck or do I blow? Yeah, it's like trying to learn to play the bagpipes or the accordion or something. It's, yeah. it's magic. I, you know, there's no point trying to get involved with it. Do you know what I haven't done? What? I haven't pronounced the Turkish guy. Oh, yes, the Turkish guy. Now, you sent me a an audio file within 24 hours of, I know. of the last week's podcast. I learned my so, lesson. Yeah, look, so people, if you think James is, uh, you know, an indolent, tardy bastard, that's not true. I'm not always. No. I'm not always. He had it done within within 24 hours. So uh, I don't want to take any of the the spotlight away from you, though. So, you know, go ahead and regale us with the correct pronunciation of the Turkish lad well, that we haven't signed yet and probably won't sign. Well, if I play this, will you hear it? Hang on, if I hold it really near the phone. Tell me if you can hear this. Yeah. Çağlar Soyuncu. Did you get that? I did. Çağlar Çağlar Soyuncu. I can play it here. I'm going to do it first. I can play it here. Hang on. Let's see if we can all hear it. Hang on. Çağlar Soyuncu. Yeah? Did you hear that? Yeah. That's my father-in-law there helping helping me out. Well, he's Turkish, right? He's Turkish. He's in in Istanbul at the moment. So Çağlar Soyuncu. I mean, that's not what I would have guessed. It wasn't even close, to be honest. Charlie Smith, we were calling him last week, so we're we're back on track. We're not far off with Charlie Smith. Charlie, Charlie Smith was closer than some of my efforts. It really was. It really was. Um, um, I'm trying to... Work. Oh, here's a question from Liam Stokes. Is it my question or your question? Yeah. It is. I don't know. I keep right. not doing the questions. You do a question. I'll do a question. It comes from uh, Liam Stokes, and he wants to know, 
are you worried that our transfer business is being held up because David Ornstein has become distracted by the World Cup? <laughs> no, but I did enjoy David Ornstein t- tweeting saying that every time he tweets anything that's not Arsenal news, he gets streams of abuse. Um, I mean, it's it's a cross to bear, David, but, you know, as our Messiah, you, you, you will bear it. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think that's anything to do with it. I'm not worried about any of the hold-ups, really. I, I, I'm unusually calm about the chance of business. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I'm chilled out because, you know, it's June... The weather is warm. I'm spending a lot of time outside with the with the dogs. You know, when you've got a new puppy, you've got to exercise the the absolute shite out of her. So, you know, I'm I'm just coasting through the month of June. You know, and case sera, sera. I'm not. You know, it's it, it's too easy to just continue with all the baggage that we had from previous summers. I feel like we've had a new a new uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, there's a new thing going on. That's not a great uh, yeah, description of it. That, but there's, that old saying, there's a new thing going on. There's a new thing going on, and baby, you better do it. <laughs> it's like we're lyricists. That would be a great pop song. It really there's would. There's a new yeah. thing going on, and baby, you better do it. Uh, <laughs> what, on the, well, I'm just I'm not bothered about the trust business because I am distracted by the World Cup, as yeah. we've discussed. And Tony Kent, who's at 2-0 down, says, is there any player who's caught your eye at the World Cup so far? that you would like to join us? And then he's put his little addendum, Golovin, maybe? Um, is that how you pronounce his name? Golovin sounds like... It sounds I like don't know. A, I haven't an got ailment. any Russian family, so I, I can't sort that one out as well. Golovin? 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 Yeah, I Golovin, don't know. It sounds maybe. better than, than Golovin. It's, yeah, that sounds like shoes you wear in the wet. Um, Golovin the Goblin. Golovin the Goblin. Uh, is there anybody that I've really seen that I'm going... Um, I mean, the guy who scored for Mexico, but then he just scored for Mexico, you know, so it was... He was linked with us, apparently, yeah. once upon a time. Probably. Uh, yeah, he's quite young, like 20, 22, I think he is. Mm. So, yeah, he would be a contender. I actually really like uh, Good Golly Golovin, or Golovin, Gol- Golovin. I think he's a really nice player on the eye. He was really good against us, actually, I thought, in the, in the Europa League. But yeah. I'm not sure he's what we need, necessarily. No, I don't think so. We've got um, we've got plenty of those kind of players, don't we? Um, yeah. Is there anybody? Not yet, but I mean, it's only three or four days old, so I think we have to have a bit of time to to decide. Oh, Sweden almost. Well, no, they didn't almost score. A guy headed Maybe over. Maybe this South Korean goalkeeper. Maybe this South Korean goalkeeper is keeping keeping your guys in it. Yeah. No, I don't think this was a save. I think he just headed over. He did, yeah. He headed uh, over, whoever it was, uh, for Sweden. It wasn't Berg this time. Oh, it was number 17. You've got your squad sheets in front of you, don't you? Your World Cup World uh, I had World it, but uh, my wall chart with all the players on yeah. it. Uh, number 17, I feel like that. Uh, let's have a look. Number 17 is Clayson. Clayson. Right. There's a number seven, Larson. Is that Seb Larson? Yeah, it's Seb Larson. He's, He's just playing. taking a corner for, uh, for Sweden right there. Former Arsenal player. Now he's about to take a throw. Years old. He's about to take a long throw. Here comes the throw. It's not that long. It's a bit floaty. Keepers come out and he's caught it and it's going to be half time now. Sweden nil, South Korea nil. Um, Can't wait to get tucked into the second half. Yeah, it's we? going to be good. Well, right. One final question before we go. Go on. It comes from Jared J. Tan, who's at Jared J. Tan. And he says, 
Would you take a job where they took off $1,000 from your salary each year, or pounds, or euros, or whatever the equivalent is in the country in which you're living, uh, but instead they gave you your paycheck in giant checks each week, like the one that lottery winners get? <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I could see that it would be fun for a bit, but surely that's just inconvenient. You've got to carry that check around and you're going to look a fool. And everyone's going to know how much money you make. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that question would probably be better if they gave you an extra thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't see there's any benefit there. When I took my brother away on his stag do, I did, uh, it's quite, quite an old joke, but I printed out his boarding pass, like incredibly big, like, you know, four foot across or something like that, <laughs> so that he had to try and get through security with it. Uh, and did and he- that was fun. <laughs> Oh, I mean, eventually, I think eventually I had to use the digital version I had on my phone because he was trying to scan it on the thing <laughs> and it just like, wouldn't. And someone came up to him and said, you know why it's not working? You've printed it too big. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Thanks very that much. That is why. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, to, to be fair, no, do uh, be sensible in airport security. It's important. But I think, uh, no, I don't want that job. I don't see what's good about it. I'm getting less money and I've got this big cartoon check that okay. tells everyone I'm getting less money. Okay, so what if you got £10,000, dollars, euros more every year for that? Every week, you've got to pick up a giant novelty check and deposit it in the bank. Probably won't even £10, fit. £10,000 raise per year. Yeah. Y- yeah, in my situation, uh, yeah, I will, I, I will do that. I'll happily... And I'll pose for a picture with the check as well. Uh, like I've won some sort of competition. Yeah. Uh, or like I've done a fun run for charity. Uh, yeah, I will. Would you do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could do I mean, I work for myself, so I could pay myself with a giant novelty check anytime I wanted. Why aren't you doing this more often? I, I don't mean, know, you know, but like are giant novelty checks actually legal tender? Tender. Or, you know, know, is it just for show? Is it just for the photo opportunity? Because, you know, a checkbook, I think I have a checkbook. Checks in themselves are disappearing. Yeah, I can't remember, the, can't remember the last time I paid for something with a check. I have a checkbook here somewhere, but they're normal. They're, they're just sort of check size. Actually, I don't think it would work because now when you go to the bank, I had to lodge a check for the first time in ages the other day as well. And you have to do it in a machine. You've got to stick the check in the machine. Yeah. The machine reads the, the check. The robot reads it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think this is going to work at all. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's a flawed proposition. I think it's all mm. bad news if you're getting a big check. Yeah. We need to hear about this, you know. What, what why, was going why would on? a big check be good? What was going on there, Jared? What was happening? What was happening in your head when you asked that question? What was happening it's in my Napoli head? who won a big check. What was happening in my head when I asked, oh, dear... Oh, yeah, that was God. terrible, wasn't it? But I, I felt obliged. I felt obliged to do it. I'm just watching um, an ad here on the TV. Jermaine Genus. Ja- Giacomo.co.uk. He's, He's got di- annoyed. Yeah, Giacomo, that's sort of clothes for larger people, isn't it? It goes Is it? up to 5XL. Oh, yeah. really? But they just look like terrible clothes. Yeah, it's weird because they... And on the adverts, they're like... From small to 5XL. And I was like, I'm like, no one's buying small on Giacomo. Right. It's also weird because Jermaine Genus isn't a, a big guy. No. But it's like, you know, if you are a big guy and you want to look like Jermaine Genus, Giacomo's the brand for you. 
I don't know why anybody would want to look like Jermaine Genius. It's a Genus. very small Venn diagram, isn't it? It People is. People who are really large and who love Jermaine Genius. <laughs> It's a very niche product. It really is. It really is. But then lots of stuff is niche and, uh, you know, case or ass or ass. Yeah. Let people do what they want, I say. That's what I say. Except Jermaine Genus. Yeah. He shouldn't be allowed to do what he wants. Um, right. I think we should leave it there. So um, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll have a, some kind of a podcast on Friday, I guess. Uh, depending on what happens between now and then. Hopefully some Arsenal stuff will happen. Hopefully you're all uh, enjoying the World Cup. Oh, do remember, if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, we'd like that, please. That would be good for us. That'd be um, fantastic. You know, everyone else is is up there with their ratings and reviews for the World Cup and, and everything else. So we don't want to feel left out. We want to be high up the iTunes charts. So please, if you uh, haven't done so already and you feel like doing it, give us a rating or a review. Uh, the uh, history stuff, the Philippe Senderos interview, available on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Sign up there if you haven't already and we'll catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.